Good evening and uh, welcome to another episode of Worship with a uh, Templar Knight. Let's get started. Uh, it's Good Friday and our Lord Jesus Christ has uh, given his life for our sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Almighty God, we beseech thee graciously to behold this thy family for which our Lord Jesus Christ was contented to be betrayed and given up unto the hands of the wicked men and to suffer death upon the cross, who now liveth and reigneth with thee and the holy cross, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, by whose spirit the whole body of the church is governed and is sanctified, receive our supplications and prayers which we offer before thee in all thy holy church, that every member of the same in his vocation and ministry may truly and godly serve thee, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. O merciful God, who hast made all men, and hatest nothing thou that hast made, nor desirest the death of the sinner but rather that he should be converted and live. Have mercy upon all who know thee not as thou art revealed in thy gospel of thy Son. Take for them all ignorance, hardness of the heart, and contempt of thy word, and so fetch them home. Bless, Lord, to thy flock, that we may all be gathered into one fold under one shepherd, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth, with them and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, who hast, who, who hatest nothing and thou hast made, and dost forgive the sins of those who are penitent, penitent, create and make in us a new contrite heart, that we worthily laminating our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness may obtain of thee the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> the Lord having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that worshippers, because that the worshippers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of the sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again, made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of the bulls and of the goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering those woldest not but the body hast thou prepared me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for the sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. 
And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which they can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for his sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath per perfected forever them that are sanctified whereof the Holy Ghost is also a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and inequities will I remember no more. Now were remissions of these. There is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest of the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the man as the manner of some is, but extorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Hear God's call to you to worship through his word. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above you, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hear them, hear God's law and his will for your life. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Just bow your heads and confess our sins. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit so that we may perfectly love you and wordly magnify in your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Receive these words of comfort from God. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Confess what you believe about the Christian faith. 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. As I talked about earlier with the God's commands to love, taken from Romans 13, uh, chapter 13, 8 through 10, I'll talk about that. Uh, this, uh, like the two preceding lessons in uh, that we talk about with the uh, command of love, Christian love and uh, directs our attention to the fruits of faith. In, in Paul, he sums up briefly all the fruits of faith and love. In the verses going before, he enjoined subjections to temporal government, the, the rendering of tribute, custom, fear, and honor, wherever due, since all governmental power is ordained by God, then follows uh, our lesson oh, oh no man anything etc 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 i shall ignore the various explanations usually invented for this command oh no man anything but to love one another to me it clear and simply it means not as men but as christians are we under obligations our indebtedness should be free of obligations of love it should not be compulsory and, and law prescribed. Paul holds up two forms of obligation. One is inspired by law and the other by love. Legal obligations make us debtors to men. An instant would be one individual has claimed upon another, another for debt. The duties of tribute, the obedience and honor we owe to a political government are legal character. Though uh, personally these things are not essential to the Christian, they do not justify him nor make him more righteous. Yet, because he must live here on earth, he is under obligation so far as outward conduct is concerned to put himself on a level with other men in these things, and generally to help maintain temporal order and peace. Christ paid tribute money as Matthew as a debt. Matthew chapter 17, verse 27, notwithstanding, he had told Peter he was under no obligation to do so and would have committed no sin before God in admitting that act. Another obligation is love. When a Christian voluntarily makes himself a servant of all men, Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, for thou I was free for, from all men, 
I brought myself under bondage to all. This is not a requirement of human laws. No one who fails in this duty, excuse me, no one who fails in this duty is, uh, is censored or punished for neglect of legal obligation. The world is not aware of the commandment of love, of the obligation to submit to and serve a fellow man. This fact is very apparent. Let one uh, have wealth, and so long as he refrains from disgracing his neighbor's wife, from appropriating his, neighbor, appropriating his neighbor's goods, selling his honor, or injuring his person, he is in the eyes of the law righteous. No law punishes him uh, for the various and, and penurious, uh, for refusing to lend, to give, to aid, and to help his wrong neighbor secure justice. Laws made for restraint of the outward man and directed only towards evil works which they uh, prohibit and punish. Good works are left to voluntary performance. Civil law does not extort them by threats and punishment, by commends and rewards them, as does the law of Moses. Uh, Paul would teach Christians uh, to so conduct themselves toward men and civil authority to, as to give uh, no occasion for complaint or send or or censures uh, because of unfilled uh, indebtedness to temporal law. He would not have them fail to satisfy the claims of legal obligation, but rather to go beyond his requirements, making himself debtors voluntarily and serving those who have no claims on them. Relative to this topic, Paul says in Romans uh, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 14, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians. Love's obligation enables a man to do more than is actually required of him. Hence, the Christian always willingly renders to the state and to the individual all services extracted by temporal regulations, permitting no claims upon himself in this respect. Paul's injunctions then might be expected, O all men, that you may owe none. O everything that you may owe nothing. This sounds paradoxical, um, but one indebtedness is that of love and obligation to God. The other indebtedness is temporal law and obligation in the eyes of the world. He, he who makes himself a servant, who takes upon himself love's obligation to all men, goes so far that no one dares complain of emissions. Indeed, he goes farther than the than any could desire. Thus he is made free. He lives under no obligation to no one from the very fact that he puts himself under obligations to all. This manner of presenting the thought would be sustained by the spirit of connection which, with, with other duties. For instance, uh, do no good work that you may do only good works. Never be pious and holy. If you would always be pious and holy, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, be not wise in your own conceits, or 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, if any man thinketh that he is wise among you in this world, let him become a fool, and that he may become wise. In this uh, sense, we say, oh, 
O all men, that you may owe no man, or owe no man anything, but to love one another. Such counsel is given uh, with the thought of two obligations. He would perform works truly good in the sight of God, must guard against works seemingly brilliant in the eyes of the world, uh, works whereby men presume to become righteous. He who desires to be righteous and holy must guard against the holiness attained by works without faith. Again, the seeker for wisdom must reject the wisdom of men, of nature, wisdom independent of the spirit. Similarly, he would be under no obligation to none, must obligate himself to all in every respect. So doing, he, ret he retains no claim of his own. Consequently, he soon rises superior to all law, for law binds only those who have claims of their own. Rightly it said, he who surrenders all his property satisfies all men. How, how can one be under no obligation when he does not and cannot possess anything? It is love's way to give all. The best way then to be under obligation is none to is through love to obligate oneself in every respect to all men. In this sense, it may be said, if you live, die, if you would not be imprisoned, incarcerated yourself, if you do not desire to go to hell, descend there. If you object to being a sinner, be a sinner. If you would escape the cross, take it upon yourself. If you would conquer the devil, let him vanish, vanquish you. Uh, would you overcome wicked individual? Permit him to overcome you. The meaning of it, it, it all is uh, we should readily submit to God and to the, to the devil and to men and willingly permit their pleasure. We are insist on nothing but to accept all things as they transpire. This is why Paul speaks as he does. Owe no man anything, etc. Instead of letting it go uh, at the preceding injunction in verse, render therefore to all their duties, etc., etc., etc. Love fulfills the law. For he that loveth his neighbor hath fulfilled the law. Um, heavenly, heaven, a lot of times, uh, the character and the fruits of love, it's, it's unnecessary to introduce any type of that subject in this place. Um, the topic is uh, sufficiently treated in the epistle um, after Lent. And we'll come on to that a little later on. Um, we look at the command and love and the law of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Innumerable, endless uh, are, are the books and doctrines produced for the direction of man's conduct, and there's still no limit to the making of books and law. Note the civil regulations uh, and the spiritual orders and the stations. These laws and doctrines might be tolerated, might be received in more with more favor if they were founded upon the administered according and, and administered according to the one great law, the one rule of measure of love, as the scriptures do, which presents many different laws, but all born of love and comprehended in the subject uh, to it. And these laws must yield, must become invalid when they conflict with love. 
of love's higher authority. We will find many illustrations in the scriptures. Christ makes particular mention of the matter in Matthew chapter 12, verses 3 to 4, where David and his companions ate the holy showbread. Though uh, a certain law prohibited all but the priest from partaking of this holy food. Love was uh, empress here and free. Love was over the law, subjecting it to its herself. The law had to yield for the time being, had to become invalid when David suffered hunger. The law had to submit to the sentence. David's hungers and must be relieved for love commands. Do good to your needy neighbor. Yield, therefore, thou law. Prevent not the accomplishments of this good, rather accomplish it thyself. Feed the hungry, feed the poor. Serve him in his need. Interpose not thy pro prohibitions. In connection with the same incident, Christ teaches that we are to do good to our neighbor. On the Sabbath, to minister as necessity demands, whatever the Sabbath restrictions of the law. For when a brother's needs calls, love is authority, and the law of the Sabbath is void. Where laws conceived and administered in love, the number of laws would matter little. Though one might hear of or learn all of them, he would learn from one or two he had knowledge of. The principle of love is taught in all. And though he were to know all laws, he might not discover the principle of love any more readily than he would in one. Paul teaches this method of understanding and mastering law when he says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, uh, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us because he loved us and wanted us to take away the sins that we had. Love woketh no ill to this neighbor. Love is fulfilling of the law. Every word in, in, in what I'm trying to say, love proves that love's mistress of all law. No greater calamity, wrong, or wretchedness is possible on earth than the teaching and enforcing of the laws of love. In such case, laws uh, but a ruinous curse, making true the proverb, um, the most stinious right is the most stinious wrong. And again, Solomon's words in Ecclesiastics chapter 7, verse 17, uh, be not righteous over much. Here is uh, where we leave unperceived the beam in our own eye and proceed to remove the moat from our neighbor's eye. Laws without love make the conscience timid and fill it with unreasonable terror and despair to the great injury of the body and soul. Thus much trouble and labor are incurred, all to no purpose. An illustration in point is that before mentioned incident, uh, David and his hunger, 1 Samuel uh, 
chapter 21, verse 6, had the priest been disposed to refuse David the holy bread, had he blindly insisted on honoring the prohibitions uh, the prohibitions of the law and failed to perceive the authority of love, had he denied this food to him who hungered, what would have been the result? So far as the priest's assistance went, David would had, have had to perish with hunger, and the priest would have been guilty of murder for the sake of the law. Here, indeed, the most stenious right would have been uh, the most Stenius wrong. Moreover, on examining the heart of the priest who had assured, uh, who should be so foolish, you would find that their extreme domination of, of uh, making sin where there is no sin, and a matter of conscience where there is no occasion for it, for he holds it uh, sin to eat the bread, when really it was an act of love and righteousness. Then too, he regards his act of murder permitting David to die of hunger, not a sin, but good work and service to God. Uh, but you can, you can fully portray his blind, this blind, perverted, abdominal folly. Um, it is a perpetration of an evil and devil himself can, uh, cannot outdo. For it makes sin where there is no sin in the matter of conscience without occasion. It robs of grace, salvation, virtue, and God with all his blessings. And that without reason, falsely and deceitfully, it uh, empathetically denies and condemns God. Again, it makes murder and injustice a good work and a divine service. It puts the devil with his falsehoods in the place of God. It institutes the worst form of idolatry and ruins body and soul, destroying the former by hunger and the latter by the, the terrified conscience. It makes of God the devil, and of the devil God. It makes hell of heaven, and heaven of hell, righteousness of sin, and sin of righteousness. This is what I call perversion, which where strictest justice is the most stenious wrong. To this depravity, uh, Ezekiel has reference, uh, chapter 13, 18, and 19. Thus saith the Lord Jehovah, Woe to the woman that sew pillows upon the elbows, and make kerchief for the head of the persons every stature to hunt souls. Will ye hunt the souls of my people, and save the souls alive for yourselves? And ye have profaned me among my people for handfuls of barley, and for pieces of bread, to slay the souls that should die, and to save souls alive that should not live, by your lying to my people that hearken unto lies. What's meant by the blind teachers of the law terrify the conscience, and put sin and death into the place of grace and, and life, and grace and life whereas only sin and death, and all for a handful of barley and a bit of bread. In other words, such teachers devote themselves to laws concerning strictly external matters, things that perish with using such as drink of water or a morsel of bread, wholly neglecting love and harassing the conscience with fear, the conscience with fear of sin unto eternal death. As Ezekiel goes on to say in chapter 13, 22 through 23, because with lies ye have grieved the heart to the righteous. 
whom I have not made sad, and strengthened the hands of the wicked, that he should not return from his wicked way and be saved alive. Therefore ye shall no more see false visions, nor divine divinations, and I will deliver my people out of your hand, and ye shall know that I am Jehovah. Mark you, it's uh, making of the hearts of the righteous sad to load the, them uh, sins when their works are good. It is strengthening the hands of the wicked to make their works good when they are not but sin. Relative to this subject, we read on uh, Psalms uh, chapter 14, verse 5, There were they in great fear, for God is, is in the generation of the righteousness. That is, uh, the sting of conscience fills with fear where there is neither reason for fear nor the disturbed conscience. That is feared as sin, which is really noble, a noble service to God. The thought of the last passage is when they uh, should call upon God and serve him, they fear in such conduct as, as sin. They should call upon God and serve him. They fear such conduct as sin and not divine service. Again, when they have need to fear a service not divine, they are secure and unafraid. Isaiah's words in uh, chapter 29, verse 13, are to the same effect. Their fear of me is a commandment of men, which has been taught them. Always the perverted people spoken of corrupt everything. They confidentially call on God, whereas the the devil they refrain in fear from calling on God, where God is. Such, uh, mark you, is the wretched condition of them who are blindly occupied with laws and the works and fail to comprehend the design law of and its mistress, love. Note, also in the case of our miserable ecclesiastics that and their followers, how rigidly they adhere to their own invention. Um, through all the world, meet ruin through their devices must be sustained. They must be perpetual, perpetuated regardless of the body, uh, bodily illness and death, or of suffering and ruin for the soul. They even regard such destruction and ruin and, as a divine service and know no fear, no remorse or conscience. Indeed, so uh, strongly entrenched as they in their uh, wickedness, they uh, never return from it. Moreover, should one of their wretched numbers be permitted to alleviate the distress of his body and soul, to eat meat, to marry, he is afraid he feels more, uh, feels remorse of conscience. Uh, he is certain about sin and the law about death and, and hell. He calls not on God nor serves him. All this, even though the body should die ten deaths and, and so go to the devil a hundred times. Observe then the state of the world, how little flesh and blood can accomplish even their best efforts, how dangerous to undertake the rule by law alone, indeed how impossible it is. Without great danger to govern and instruct souls were mere laws ignoring love and the spirit in whose hand is full the power of the law. It is written in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2, verse 2, at his right hand was a fiery law for them. 
This is law and the love of the Spirit. It shall regulate all laws at the left hand, that is, the external laws of the world. It is said in Exodus chapter 28, verse 30, that the priest must bear upon his breast, in the breastplate, the Urim and the Thurim. Thurim. That is light and perfection indicated of the priest's office to eliminate the law. Illuminate, I'm sorry. Illuminate the law. To give its uh, true sense and fault, faultlessly to keep and to teach it. In the conception, the establishment, and the observance of laws, the object should be not the furtherance of the laws in themselves, not the advancement of works, but the exercise of love. That's the true purpose of the law, according to Paul. He that loveth his neighbor hath fulfilled the law. Therefore, when the law contributes to the injury rather than the benefit of the neighbor, it should be ignored. The same law may at one time benefit our neighbor and after a time injure him. Consequently, it should be regulated according to the advantage to him. Law should be made to serve in the same way that food and, and raiment and other necessaries of life serve. We consider not the food and the raiment themselves, but their benefit to our needy neighbor. And we cease to dispense them as soon as we perceive they no longer add to his comfort. <clears throat> Suppose you were to come across an individual. <clears throat> Suppose you were to come across an individual foolish enough to act with no other thought than that food and clothing are truly good things and so proceed to stuff than a needy one with unlimited food and drink unto choking. And to clothe him unto suffocation and then not to desist. Uh, supposed to the command, stop, you have suffocated and have already overfed and overclothed him, and all is lost, uh, and all is lost effort now. The foolish one should reply, you heretic. Would you forbid good works? Food, drink, and raiment are good things. Therefore, we must not cease to dispense him when we can, cannot do too much. And suppose he continued to force food and clothing on the man. Tell me, what would you think of, uh, of such a person, such an individual? He is a fool, more than foolish. He is more than mad, than madness itself. And I can remember um, with our Templar group that we adopted a family like this, and, and we gave them all these um, things until they finally had to saw, tell us, okay, uh, stop, uh, that, that's enough. Thank you, and God bless you. So in this same manner, I mean, <clears throat> would this same person keep, keep asking this stuff uh, and they're saying, hey, uh, enough's enough, right? So the uh, 
such character uh, Ecclesiastes today and those who are blind in the exercise of law as to act as if works were uh, only requisite and to suffocate body and soul being ignorant that the one purpose of the law is called forth the exercise of love. They make work superior to love and, and a maid to her matron. Um, we'll say that uh, <clears throat> such perversion prevails to the extent of distressing to think of, not to mention hearing and seeing it more practicing and permitting it ourselves. The commandment of love is not a long one. It's short, very short. It is one injunction, not many. It's not even a commandment. And at the same time, it's all commandments. Uh, brief and uh, a unit in itself, its meaning is easily comprehended. But in an exercise, it's far-reaching for it includes and regulates all commandments. Think about that. All commandments. So far as works are enjoined, it is no commandment. No commandment at all. It names no particular work. Yet. It represents all commandments because properly the fulfillment of all commandments is the fulfillment of this, the commandment of love. Suspends every commandment, yet it perpetuates all. It's the whole purpose is that we may recognize no commandment, no work, except as love dictates. You love Jesus Christ, you follow his ten commandments. You follow his commandments. As life on earth, the... Uh, Apart from works is a possibility. Uh, necessarily, there must be uh, various commandments involving works. Yet love is supreme over these requirements, dictating the omissions or the performance of works according to its own best interest and permitting no works posed to itself. Uh, let me illustrate. A driver uh, on a steering wheel guides a car that will. If he were content merely to hold the steering wheel, regardless uh, where the, where the, the, whether they were following the road, uh, the entire vehicle and driver would soon be would soon crash. The driver would be laying drowned in a ditch or a pool or have his neck broken. But it's dexterously um, regulates the movement of the vehicle according to the road, observing where it is safe and where it's unsafe. Surely he would proceed uh, wisely where he is uh, in his egotism uh, to drive straight ahead, endeavoring uh, to make the road conform to the movement of his vehicle. At his pleasure, he would soon see how beautifully his plan would work. If you catch my meaning in that. In other words, if he doesn't have control of his vehicle, he's going to crash, period. So it is when uh, men are governed by laws and works, the laws not being regulated according to the people, the case is that of the driver who would regulate the road by movements of his vehicle. True. The road is uh, often suited uh, 
to be a straight course for his vehicle, but just as truly the road is in certain places curvy and uneven, and the vehicle must conform to the course of the conditions of the road. Men must adapt themselves to laws and regulations wherever possible and where the laws are beneficial, but where laws prove detrimental to men's interests, uh, the former must yield. The ruler must wisely make allowance for love spending works and laws. Hence, philosophers uh, say prudence or circumspection or, or discretion at the ecclesiastics uh, put it. It is the guide and regulator of all virtues. We're reading the book of, of ancient fathers that on assembling the question was raised, which is really the noblest work? And the various uh, replies were given. One says, prayer. Another said fasting. But St. Anthony was of the opinion that all works and virtues, discretion is the best and surest way to heaven. These, however, were but childish, unspiritual ideas relating to their own chosen works. A Christian's view of the matter in quite a different light is in quite a different light the more judiciously he concludes that neither direction or discretion nor rashness avails before God. Only faith and love serve with him. But love is the true discretion. Love is the driver. And the true discretion is in righteous works. It always looks to the good of the neighbor, to the admiration of his conditions, just as the discretion of the world looks to the general welfare of the governor and the way it's governed and the adjustment of political laws. Um, let this suffice at this point. But the question arises, how can love fulfill the law when the love is but one of the fruits of faith? And we have frequently said that only faith in Christ removes our sins and justifies us and satisfies all demands of the law. How can we make the two claims harmonize? Christ says to, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, All things, therefore, whatsoever ye would, would that men should do unto you, even so do ye also unto them. For this is the law of the prophets. Thus he shows that love for one's neighbor fulfills both law and the prophets again. He says in Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 37 through 40, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, thy neighbor as thyself. On these two the whole law hangeth, and the prophets. You heard me saying that during the, the beginning of the service. Where then does Paul stand, who says in Romans chapter 3, verse 31, Do we make the law of none effect through faith? God forbid, nay, we establish the law again. Romans chapter 3, verse 28. We reckon, therefore, that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And again, in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith. <clears throat> As we have frequently said, we must proper, pro properly distinguish between faith and law. Faith deals with the heart. 
and love with the works. Faith removes our sins, renders us unacceptable, justifies us, and being accepted and justified as to our persons, love is given us in the Holy Spirit, and we delight in doing good. Now, it is the nature of the law to attack our persons and demand good works, and it will not cease to demand until it gains at its point. We cannot do good works without the spirit of love. The law constrains us to know ourselves with our imperfections and to recognize the necessity of, of becoming altogether different individuals that we may satisfy the law. The law does not exact so much of the heart as of works. In fact, it demands nothing but works and ignores the heart. It leaves the individual to discover from the works required that he must become altogether a different person. But faith, when it comes, creates a nature uh, capable of accomplishing the works the law demands. Thus, the law is fulfilled. So Paul's saying on the subject, uh, are beautiful and are appropriate. The law demands of us works. It must be fulfilled by works. Hence, it cannot be, it cannot in every sense be said that uh, faith fulfills a law. However, it prepares the way and enables us to fulfill it. For the law demands not us, but our works. The law constrains us, teaches us that we must be changed before we can accomplish its works. It must, uh, it makes us conscious of our inability as we are. On the other hand, love and works do not change us, do not justify us. We must be changed in a person and justified before we can love and, and do good works. Our love and our works are evidence of justification and a change since they are impossible until the individual is free from sin and made righteous. This explanation is given uh, to enable us to perceive the true nature of law of faith and of love, to ascribe to each its own uh, mission, and rightly to understand the Scripture declaration and their harmonious relations that with faith justifies it does not fulfill the law and while love does not justify it does fulfill the law the law requires love and works but does not mention the heart the heart is sensible of the law but love is not just as law in requiring works but before faith exists is a sign of individual leading him to recognize his utter lack of faith and righteousness and to conclude he is conquered. So love in its fulfillment of the law after faith intervenes is a sign and proof to the individual of his faith and righteousness. Law and love then witness to him concerning the unrighteousness of his righteousness. After faith comes love this evidence of righteousness. Before faith, man is sensible of the law, the law's oppression, because he knows he does not possess what the law requires, and the law does not require a change of heart, but works. Love and works do not affect fulfillment of the law. They are themselves in fulfillment. Now, through faith does not fulfill the law, it contains which affects its fulfillment, it secures the spirit and love whereby ended as an accomplishment. 
or is accomplished. On the other hand, if love does not justify us, it makes manifest the faith whereby we are justified. Briefly, uh, as Paul says here, love is the fulfillment of law. His thought is uh, fulfillment of the law is one thing, and affecting or furnishing its fulfillment is another. Love fulfills the law in the sense that love itself is its fulfillment, but faith fulfills in it the sense that is offers that by which is fulfilled. For faith loves and works as, in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 6, faith worketh through love. The water fills the pitcher, right? The water fills of itself. Of course, the cupbearer fills with the water. Um, if, as the sophist uh, would say, uh, faith is ever the actor and love the act. The law requires act and thus forces the actor to be changed. The law and then fulfilled by the act, which however the actor must perform, thus Paul rejects the fancies of the uh, of the person who is the matter of love, which would uh, make distinction between the external work and the inner affection, saying, love is an inner infection, inter, I'm sorry, love's an inner affection that loves our neighbor when in our heart we wish him well. It's an expression of works, However, they call it the fruit of love. But we will not, we're not going to discuss that idea. Note, Paul, Paul's terms love not only an effect, affection, but affectionate good act. Faith and the heart are the actor and the fulfiller of the law. Paul says, he that loveth his neighbor hath fulfilled the law. And love is the act, the fulfilling, for he says, Love is the fulfillment of the law. Another question arises, how can, how can love for our neighbor be the fulfillment of the law when we are required to love God supremely, even above our neighbor? I say to that, Christ answers the question when he tells us in Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, the second commandment is like unto the first. He makes love to God and love to our neighbor the same love. Correct? The reason for this is, first, God having no need for our works and, it, and, it, and benefactions for himself, business to do it for our neighbor. What would we do for God? He asked for himself only our faith and recognition of him as God. The object of proclaiming his honor and rendering him praise and thanks here on earth is that our neighbor may be converted and brought to into fellowship with God. Uh, such, such service is called the love of God and is performed out of love to God, but is exercised for the benefit of our neighbor only. The second reason why God makes love to our neighbor and obligation equal to love 
to himself is that God has made worldly wisdom foolish, desiring henceforth to be loved amid crosses and afflictions. Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, 21, seeing that in uh, the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom knew not God. It was God's good pleasure through the foolishness of the preaching to save them that believe. Therefore, upon the cross, he submitted himself today, Good Friday. He submitted himself unto death and misery and imposed the same submission upon all his disciples. They who refused to love him before before when he bestowed upon them the food and drink and blessings and honor must now love him in hunger and sorrow and adversity and disgrace. All works of love then must be directed to our wretched, needy neighbors. Or the poor. I'm, I'm talking about that way, not wretched or needy neighbors. I'm, and there are people out there that are needy, that, that need this love, and they need us to bring them things and to give them things. And these lowly ones uh, uh, were to find uh, and and love God. Needed in them, we are to serve and honor Him, and only so we can do it. The commandment to love God is wholly merged in that uh, to love our neighbors. These facts restrain those elusive, soaring spirits that, seeking God only in great and glorious undertaking. It stops the mouths of those who strive for the greatness like his, um, who would force themselves into heaven, presuming to serve and love him with their brilliant works. It's not true. <coughs> presuming to serve him. Right? But they miss him by passing over him in their earthly in their in their earthly neighbors, whom God would be loved and honored. Therefore, they will hear on the last day the sentence in Matthew chapter 25, verse 32. I was hunger. I was hungry, and ye did not give me to eat, etc. For Christ laid aside his divinity and took upon himself the form of the servant for the very purpose of bringing down and centering upon our neighbor the love we extend to him. Leave the Lord to lie here in his humiliation with with gazed open mouth into heaven and, and make great pretensions to love and service to God. All commandments summed up in love. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment that's briefly summed up in this word, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love being the chief element of all law, it comprehends as being made sufficiently clear all commandments. Its one concern is to be useful to man and not harmful. Therefore, 
It's rarely discovers the way. Recognizing the fact that uh, that man, from his ardent self-love, seeks to promote his own interest in avoiding injuring them, love endeavors to adopt the same course towards others. We will consider the commandment just cited, um, noticing how ingeniously and wisely it is arranged. It brings out four thoughts. First, it states who is under obligation to love the nearest, noblest, best individual we command. We can command. No one can fulfill the law of God for another. Each must do it for himself, as Paul says in Galatians chapter six, verse five. Each man shall bear his own burden. In Second Corinthians chapter five, verse ten, uh, for we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So it said, thou, thou thyself must love, not let someone else love for you. Thou, though one can, one should pray that God may be gracious to another and, and help him. Yet no one will be saved unless he himself fulfills God's command. <clears throat> it's not uh, uh, it's not enough merely to pray that another may escape punishment as the vendors uh, the indulgence teaches, but rather we should pray that he become righteous and observe God's precepts. Uh, second, the commandment named the noblest virtue, love. It does not say, thou shalt feed thy neighbor, give him drink, clothe him. All of which things are inestimably uh, good works. It says, thou shalt love him. Love is the chief virtue, the fountain of all virtues. Love, love gives food and drink. It clothes, comforts, persuades, relieves, and rescues. What shall we say of it? Uh, for behold, who loves gives himself body and soul, property and honor, all of his powers, inner and external, for his needy neighbor's benefit. Whether it be a friend or an enemy, he withholding nothing wherewith he may serve another. There is no virtue like love, none. There can be no special work assigned to it. As in the case of uh, case of limited virtues such as chastity, mercy, patience, meekness, and the like, love does all things. It will suffer in life and in death, in every condition, and that even for its enemies. Well, may Paul here say that all other commandments are briefly comprehended to an injunction: "Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself." Thirdly. The commandment names as the spear of, of our love. The noblest field, the dearest friend, our neighbor, it, it does not say, thou shalt love the rich, the mighty, and the learned, and the saint, and, and, and no unrestrained love designated in the most perfect commandment does not apportion itself among the few. With it is no respect of persons. It is the nature of false carnal, worldly love to respect the individual 
and to love only so long as it hopes to de derive profit? When such hope ceases, that love also ceases. The commandment of our text, and what I'm trying to teach and, and understand, however, requires us a free, spontaneous love, free, spontaneous love to all men, all people, whoever they may be, and whether it be a friend or an enemy, a love that seeks not profit and administers only what is beneficial. Such love is most active and powerful in serving the poor and the needy, the sick, the wicked, the simple-minded, people with uh, disabilities, uh, the hostile. Among these, it is always and under all circumstances necessary to suffer and endure, to serve and do good. Please take a note here. This commandment makes us all equal before God. Think about that. Love your neighbor as yourself makes us equal together before God. Not works. Love. Without regard to uh, distinctions, incidents to our stations in life, to where we're at in our life, rich, poor, doesn't matter. To our persons and, and occupations, it, it doesn't matter. Since the commandment is to all to every, every human being, a sovereign. If he be a human being, must confess the poorest beggar, the most wretched person, the, the most poorest person, or the most richest person. His neighbor and his equal is in the sight of God. He is under obligation, according to this commandment, think about that, not to extend a measure of help, but to serve that neighbor with all he has and all he controls. If he loves him as God here commands him to do, he must give the uh, homeless, homeless person preference over his crown, over whatever he has. If you're a Knight Templar, you, you cannot pass up a person that needs help. He is under obligation to love his neighbor and must admit that such a one is his neighbor. You understand? It's not this, uh, it's not this uh, superior, a noble commandment which uh, completely levels the most unequal individuals. It's not wonderfully comforting to, the, to a poor person or a homeless person to have, to have this servant and, and and love, and lovers of such honor. Don't you think? Wonderful that this uh, poverty commands the services of the king to be opulent, uh, or ourselves, or the president of the United States. Right? Uh, that to his source and, and, and the wounds are subject are subject to the wealth and the sweet savior of royal splendor. Just to say it that way. But how strange it would uh, seem to us to behold kings, queens, princes, princesses, uh, presidents, vice presidents, congress people, uh, uh, wealthy individuals. Um, and there's a lot of them out there that are good, actually. So uh, how strange would it seem to us 
to see uh, someone do this. Even this serving, I mean, serving, serving people that are not wealthy and people that are homeless. Um, yeah, there's lots of missions out there that do this, but who's funny those missions? It's usually people like you or me um, that help with that by giving clothing and things like that. Um, how wonderful would that be nice to be able to see some of these wealthy individuals that actually get in there and, and do things for homeless individuals. And, you know, we had a, a great president, Jimmy Carter, that uh, started that uh, good program up, uh, started giving homes to homeless people. Um, no one can ever, how do I want to say that? Even this, however, would be a slight thing in comparison to with what Christ has done for us. No one can ever equal him in the obedience wherewith he was exalted. He has exalted this commandment. He is the king whose honor transcends, transcends that all other kings, presidents, dictators, Indeed, he is the Son of God, and yet he puts himself on a level with the worst sinners and serves them even to in dying for them. Uh, were ten kings of earth to serve uh, to the utmost one bigger, it would be a remarkable thing. I mean, to see presidents and everybody else uh, doing this. Uh, but what significant would it be in comparison with the service Jesus Christ has rendered? There is none. It would be an utter shame, and would have would have would have to acknowledge their service for an unworthy notice. Um, let's learn in the condition of the world how far how far it is not only from Christ's immeasurable example, but from the commandment in this in the verse that we just talked about. Um, where where are two where are to be found any who comprehend the meaning of the little phrase, thy neighbor? Notwithstanding there, it's uh, besides the commandment, the natural law of service written in all the hearts of men. Uh, not an individual. Not an individual is there who does not realize and who is not forced to confess the justice and the truth and the natural outlined in the command in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. All things, therefore, whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you, even so do ye also unto them. The light of the law shines in the inborn reason of all men. Did they but regard it? What, what need have they of the books, teachers, and laws? They carry them within the depths of their hearts, a living book fitted to teach them fully what to do and what to admit, what to accept and what to reject and what decisions to make. Now the command to love our neighbors as ourselves, equivalent to each other is equivalent to, to that, to that other. Whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you, etc. Every individual desires to be loved and not hated. And he also feels that uh, and sees his obligation to exercise the same disposition towards others. The carrying out of the obligation is loving another himself. 
but evil lusts. Evil lusts and the sinful love obscures the light of the natural law and blinds a man until he fails to perceive the guidebook in his heart and to follow the clear command for a reason. Hence, he must be restrained and repelled by external laws and material books with a sword, by, with a sword and by force. He must be reminded of his natural light and have his own heart revealed to him. Yet a domination uh, does not avail. He does not see the light. Evil, lust, and sinful love blind him. With the sword and with the political laws, he must still outwardly restrain from perpetuating actual crimes. The fourth thing the commandment uh, presents is the uh, standard by which we are to measure our love and an excellent model. Those particularly worthy instructions and commandments which present examples, this commandment holds up a truly living example thyself. It is a, a better model than any example the saints have set. The saints are dead and their deeds are past, but this example ever lives. Everyone must admit the consciousness of his own love for himself, of his ardent concern for his temporal life and his careful nourishment of his body and food raiment of all good things, and his fleeing from death and avoiding evil. This is self-love, something we are conscious of our, in ourselves. What then is the teaching of the commandment? To do to another as you do to yourself. To value his body and his life equally to your own body and life. Now how could God have pointed you in to an example dearer, more pleasing, and more purpose than this example, the deep instinct of your nature. Indeed, your depth and character is measured by the writing of this command in your heart. How would you fare with God if you do not love your neighbor? Feeling this commandment within your heart, your conscience will condemn you. Your whole conduct will be an example witnessing against you, testifying to your favor to do, failure to do unto others as the natural instinct of your being, more forcibly than all the examples of the saints has taught you to do. But how will you, but how will it go? The ecclesiastics in particular, the churchmen with their singing and their praying, their calls and the bald plates of their jugglery. I make no comment on that fact. I'm not going to. They have never observed the commandment. I ask, however, when has their monostatic fanaticism permitted them time and opportunity to perceive for once this law in their hearts, to become sensible of the example set them in their own human instinct, or even to read the preceptive books to or to hear it preached? Poor, miserable people. Do you presume to think that God will make void this love's commandment so deeply and clearly impressed upon the heart, so beautifully and unmistakably illustrated in your own natures and in many written and spoken words as well? Think you God will do this on account of your calls and, 
and regard what you have been devising and performing? Alas, how shamelessly the world has ignored this beautiful and impressive commandment. Even in the United States, it's just getting worse. Satan has filled these hearts. How, how shameless. How shameful. The world ignored this beautiful and impressive commandment, wherein our souls most skillfully presented the individual and the task and, and the model and the sphere of labor. And on the other hand, how shamefully it occupies itself with the very reverse of what is taught in this commandment. Its whole practice and tendency seem to be a place to our responsibility upon others, monks, priests, ministers, must be righteous for us and pray in our steed that we may personally be excused for the noblest virtue, love. We substitute self-devised works in the place of our neighbors. We put wood and stone, raiment and food, even dead souls, the saints of heaven. These we serve them. With them we are occupied. They are the spear wherein we exercise ourselves instead of the noblest example as thyself. We look to the legends of the works of the saints. We presume to imitate such outward examples, omitting the duty which our own nature and life present, which is the command of God outlines. Notwithstanding, such duty offers more than we could ever fulfill, even if we could accomplish all it offers. We could still not be equal to Christ. Love works only good to its neighbors. Love worketh no ill to his neighbors. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. The Ten Commandments forbid doing evil to our neighbor. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Etc., etc. The apostle, employing similar uh, phraseology, says that love observes all these commands, injuring none. Not only that, it affects good for all. It is practically doing evil to permit our neighbor to remain in peril when we can relieve him of that, even though we may not have been instrumental in placing him where he is at. If he is hungry, and we do not feed him when it is in our power to do so. We practically permit him to die of hunger. We should take this view concerning our perilous conditions, any adverse circumstances with our neighbors, how love is a fulfillment of the law. And you've now heard it. So I hope that you carry that on and love your neighbor as yourself. Follow God's command, because without it, as I said, all commandments are filled with love. That's how they're achieved. Remember that. Listen to these uh, words. Uh, Let God enlighten your mind and your heart. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we humbly submit ourselves and fall down before your majesty, asking you from the bottom of our hearts that this seed of your word now sown among us 
may take such deep root that neither the burning heat of the persecution cause it to wither nor the thorny cares of this life choke it, but that the seed sown in good ground it may bring forth thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. Amen. Let's all bow our heads and make your request to God. Your glorious majesty surround me. The blessed Trinity, Trinity protect me. And the eternal Godhead preserve me. Your unlimited mercy support me. Your loving kindness encompass me. Your favor make me to rejoice. The eternal truth of God be my delight. And the saving knowledge of Christ strengthen me. And the all-prevailing prevailing grace of God be sufficient for me. May the grace of God the Father lead me, the wisdom of God the Son be my consolation, and the power of the Holy Spirit enlighten me. Lord, my Creator, stand by me. My Redeemer, save me. And my Comforter, dwell with me. Amen. In closing, let's pray the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'd like to thank you for joining me here on uh, a small worship with a Templar night. And I hope you took comfort in the reading I gave tonight. That uh, is actually from Martin Luther. One of the greatest, greatest sermons that uh, could be uh, told in this day and age, and that is love. Remember that. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you care to have a prayer request, you can email that to me at davidr258 at comcast.net or you can go to our website. That's www.americanightstemplars.com If you have any desires to become a Templar, you can go to that website again. That's www.americanightstemplars.com and uh, or you can even email me. I gave that out. It's David R two five eight at Comcast dot net, and I'd be more than happy to uh, bring you into our small order. Lots of brothers. Well, not lots. There's brothers and sisters here, and 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 we're helping each other, and we're helping our community. If that's something that you want to do, um, please uh, get hold of us. Again, thank you for joining me here on this uh, small podcast. Have a great night. Keep God close to your heart. Good night.